We turn in sacred scripture to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We begin reading at verse 15 and read through the end of the chapter. And the text is verses 23 and 25 through 28. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves Unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. The text is verses 23 and verses 25 through 28. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And then verse 25 Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. That is the the overarching theme and the fundamental principle of this baptism series that we are currently working through. We want homes and we want families that are established according to the instruction of God's word. We want homes that are built up according to the blueprints of what God gives us in his word. Now, so far in our series, we've looked at two things. First, we've looked at the foundational principle of building a Christian home, namely the fact that it must be God who builds the home. And in light of that, we are called, we must labor according to the instructions of God's word. That's, that's God building, his, building a home when we do it according to his word. And then second, we've looked at the instructions or the blueprints for marriage generally. We looked at last time, if you remember, what marriage is as an institution of God, uh, what marriage is as the primary relationship uh, in one's life for those who are married. And third, we also looked at um, how marriage is a reflection and is to be a reflection, a picture of Christ in his, and his church. Now, I said in our last sermon that we would have a second sermon on the blueprints of marriage generally. We might still do that in a future sermon, but this morning we're going to move on uh, and we're going to look at more of the specifics of marriage. We're going to look this morning at the blueprints uh, of God's word for a Christian husband. And then, and then after we look at that, we look at the blueprints of a Christian wife. So this morning, we begin looking at God's blueprints for the husband. We won't say everything about the husband's calling this morning because, Lord willing, we will take next time as well to look at the blueprints of a Christian husband. We take as our theme this morning, the husband's position of loving headship. The husband's position of loving headship. And we look at three things. First, we look at the humbling position. Second, we look at the loving duty And then third, we look at the holy purpose. In the first point of the sermon, I want to focus on the husband's position and the calling and responsibility he has before God to be the head of his wife. Ephesians 5 verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. The husband is the head of his wife. That is his position in the marriage relationship. What does that mean? In order to understand what that means for the husband, we need to understand what it means for Jesus Christ, first of all. The husband is the head of his wife, even as... Christ is the head of the church. That's Ephesians 5 verse 23. The husband always has Christ as his example. The husband is called to reflect Christ in his marriage. The husband is to model himself after Christ. This is the husband's great calling and position. And therefore we ought to ask, what does that mean first of all for Christ? For Christ to be the head of his wife the church. I've got four things I want to point out. That Christ is the head of the church means, first of all, 
that Christ has assumed complete responsibility for the church. That's what Christ did. God gave the church to Christ, and Christ took the church to himself as his own bride, and in so doing, Jesus Christ became completely responsible for her. He became responsible for her salvation, for her eternal protection, and for her eternal well-being. That's what Paul emphasizes in the text itself. Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. He functions as the head of the church by being her Savior. And I think we know generally what that means. The church was covered in her sins. She was guilty before God. She was exposed to. She was liable to the wrath of God. She disfigured herself horribly. She made herself to stink. And whether we are man or woman, as believers, we are all part of that church. And Christ, in taking us to Himself, making Himself our head, took on Himself the responsibility for all our sins. He took on Him the responsibility of dying for our sins, paying off our debts, cleansing us, dressing us in His righteousness, preserving us, making us prosper in holiness. And this is our great comfort, beloved, as part of the bride of Christ, that we are not our own, but with body and soul, both in life and death, we belong to Christ, who is our head. The church, she is the elect of God. She is precious in God's eyes. And Jesus became totally responsible for her. He was given that responsibility from the Father so that he might bring the church unto the Father as perfect and spotless and without blemish. That's what Christ's headship involves as the husband of his church. Responsibility for her. Second of all, that Christ is the head of the church means that Christ leads the church. He leads her, he rules her, and he governs her. He has authority over her. We understand all authority resides in God, the triune God. And God has given authority to Christ over the church as her head. Christ, with his rule, leads and governs his church, his bride. He leads and he rules and governs his church by his word, the scriptures. That's what the scriptures are. And he leads and guides his church by his spirit, his Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ. And Christ rules his church and he leads his church in love. He rules over all creation by his power. He's the exalted head over all by his power. And he rules over his church in a special way by his love and by his grace. He has only love in his rule over his church. And to explain this idea, think of the figure of the body. Christ is the head of the body. The head and the body are one. They are one flesh. But the head has the authority over the body and rules over the body and loves the body and the head makes its decisions in tune with what the body's needs are and what is good for the body and the whole body. That's Christ's headship over his church. Third of all, that Christ is the head of the church means that Christ protects the church and provides 
the church. That's implied in his responsibility and his leadership and authority. He protects his church and he provides for his church. He provides salvation for his church. He provides godly leadership for his church. And that's how he protects his church. He fights her battles for her. He gives her strength. He gives her rest. He binds up her wounds. He comforts her. He showers her with much needed comfort, consolation, and affection. He gives her her daily bread. He forgives her sins. He does not lead her into temptation, but he delivers her from evil. He protects And he provides for her. That's what Christ's headship over the church involves. And then fourth of all, in a very real way, but in a very astonishing way, Christ is the head of the church. Christ as the head of the church is also servant for the church's sake. He serves his beloved church as her head. That's what headship ultimately looks like for Christ. He is the church's servant as her head. In Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, to be served. Jesus did not come to be served, but to minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ loved his church. He came down to earth for his church. He took upon himself the form of a servant for his church. He then laid down his life in that form of a servant for her. And he served his whole life long for her eternal well-being. That's headship. That's what Jesus' whole life was about. Even right now, Christ is exalted at God's right hand. He's given all authority and all power. Why? For the church. Ephesians 1 even emphasizes it. For the sake of the church, for the good, for the salvation of the church, Christ Jesus always has the church in his mind with everything he does because she's his bride, of course. That's who he is as head of the church. He exercises his power and authority for her. And oh, congregation, what an astounding thing it is to think that you and I are part of that beloved bride of Jesus Christ. What an amazing, glorious head we have in Jesus Christ. How blessed we are to be part of the bride of Jesus Christ. Well, now we've said all of that. We've said those four things about Christ's headship so that we might now understand what the husband's calling and position and responsibility is as head in his marriage. You are the head of your wife, God says. Now, following the example of Christ, having the calling to reflect Christ in your marriage, live now as the head of your wife. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So now we ask again, what does this mean for the husband? What does headship mean? For the husband in marriage. For Tyler. For Andy. Well these four things I just mentioned. We now apply to husbands. First of all it means this. Husbands are responsible. For their wives. And for their marriages. That's their position. This is a very humbling thought. This is why this is a very humbling position. Husbands are responsible before God. For the care and the nurturing of the souls of their wives. 
her spiritual growth, her spiritual well-being, her holiness, her godliness, you as husband, in a very real way, are responsible to God for it. And with what God has entrusted to your care, God also requires that you do all in your power and ability so that what He has entrusted to you prospers and develops so that it might bring the utmost glory to God's name. Your position as husband is to serve for your wife's spiritual prosperity and safety and development. Upon you, as the head, comes the responsibility to see to it that your marriage, both you and your wife together, is a faithful reflection of Christ and His church. Of course, the wife has her responsibility in this regard too. You are one flesh. And she is given as a suitable helper, a fitting helper, so that you might be the husband that you are called to be. This involves, we understand, intimate teamwork, a one-flesh relationship, mutual submission, working together in our respective callings. Nevertheless, when God comes to inquire how your marriage is, the one to whom he will put the question is the husband. That's headship. That's headship. Second of all, That husband is the head of his wife means that the husband is the leader of his wife. He leads her and he rules her. And it's not just for the sake of ruling her, but but for the sake of ruling the marriage itself. Just as the husband is given the responsibility to lead his wife and family towards God, so God also then gives the husband the authority in his marriage to serve those purposes. All authority, as we said with Jesus, all authority resides with the triune God. And God gives the husband this authority over his wife. And God does that for the good of the marriage, for husband and wife together, to avoid chaos so that there is not uh, friction, so that there is not you know, two heads to the one body, but so that the marriage might be orderly and, and work towards that one goal of glorifying God. God designs it so that The husband is given that role of leadership and authority. And just as wives are then under the headship of their husbands, so husbands in their position as head are under the headship and authority of Jesus Christ, who is their head and their bridegroom. And that's very much true regarding the wives as well. Wives submit unto their own husbands as unto the Lord. Christ is ultimately my head, we might say. Wives submit to Christ's will for them, just as husbands submit to Christ's will for them as part of his bride. Just as we all submit to Christ's will for us, whether we are single or married, whether God has made us male or female, we submit to Christ as our head. Well, what does this leadership involve? Let's break this down a little bit more. What does this leadership involve? What involves this? That the husband brings God's word to bear upon his marriage. That's how Christ rules his church. Through his word and through his spirit. And husbands rule their wives through the same way. Through Christ's word and, and, and through his spirit. Through, through, through a loving and holy spirit that the husband has. That means, of course, that the husband is to know the word of God. And, and to live out of it himself. We might say, uh, in order to carry out his calling as a head capably, the husband ought to know the word of God more than anyone else in his family. 
Just think, in the Old Testament, the king of Israel had his own copy, his own personal copy of the Scriptures that he had to write out. And he had his own copy because in his position as head, as, as a position of authority, he needed to know the Scriptures the best. A husband, too, must be thoroughly acquainted with the Scriptures if he's going to lead his wife well and carry out his calling of authority under Christ. This leadership also involves this, that the husband manage well. That he manage well. In 1 Timothy 3 verse 4, Paul outlines the qualifications for elder and he says this, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And that word ruleth well, one that ruleth well his own house, that word is, is the word manage. It has the idea of management. That's headship. In the same way then that uh, a father manages his house, so a husband is to manage his marriage. And what I mean then is, as a manager, you bring out the best in your marriage. That's what a good manager does. A manager works with people and strives to bring out the best in them so that the company as a whole prospers and everyone with it. Husbands must do that in their marriages with their wives so that the marriage prospers. And we understand that makes sense. Husbands and wives are not equally gifted. God creates all kinds of different and diverse marriages, some having these gifts, others having different gifts. And a good husband then, as the head, as a good leader, is one who has the wisdom and has the calling to see how the gifts in that marriage relationship can be best used. He sees who has the best gifts in this area or in that area, and he's discerning, and he manages the marriage appropriately. Now, that doesn't mean that the husband gives up his headship. It means the exact opposite. It means he exercises his headship for the good of the marriage. Just for one example, think of finances. Sometimes husbands don't have the, the best gifts when it comes to managing finances. They haven't developed those gifts, maybe as much as the wife has. Headship doesn't mean that the husband now still insists on, on taking care of the finances. No, headship means that the husband sees that his wife has the gifts and is better in that area and he gives that job to his wife. That, that's management. Headship means this, that, that the husband is ultimately responsible before God for the finances so that he sees what's in the marriage and he, he manages it to the best for the service of God's glory. And we have to be careful here because husbands may not use this as an excuse then to give up their God-given responsibilities and just to, to load those responsibilities on the wife. But a good husband does know how to delegate. He knows how to manage. He rules well his own house. He recognizes how God has given his wife to be a, a fitting helper. And then he makes full use of his wife as the fitting helper that she is. That's leadership. In a one flesh relationship where there's teamwork involved and there is this design so that there's headship. Leadership also involves this, being a faithful example to your wife. Bringing the word of God to bear on your own heart and your own life first. Showing your wife that you yourself are striving after holiness, to be pure and spotless before the Lord. And you're dedicated in all things to the Lord. A true leader is one 
who leads by example. Third of all, then, that the husband is the head of the wife means that the husband protects his wife and provides for her, just like Christ does for the church. He protects her. Yes, he protects her physically. He puts himself in dangerous ways so she is kept safe. But spiritually, especially, the husband protects his wife. He doesn't bring her into those bad seedy environments where there's drinking and partying or crude language, but he protects her, even as he's protecting himself and his own flesh. Reflecting Christ, the husband becomes a rock for his wife. He becomes a strong tower and a refuge for his wife. He becomes a defense for his wife, a hiding place for her against sin as much as he can. That's what a head does. And ultimately, He helps his wife see that Jesus Christ in the end is her rock and her strong tower and her hiding place and refuge. He leads her to Christ even as he himself is striving to reflect Christ to her. And yes, when the husband sees maybe that the unholy television show is becoming a a temptation for his wife and all kinds of other examples, then, then he also leads her. From that temptation. He's protecting her. Even as he's focused on himself first as the head to be a good head, then he takes care of his wife. Perhaps most of all, then, the husband protects his wife from his own sinful nature and the hurt he could cause her with his own sinful nature. The husband protects his wife and provides for her. At at least as the husband, we could say he senses that responsibility as the head to provide for her. And he exerts himself as he is capable to be faithful in that responsibility. He provides for her. He seeks seeks that out. That's how the scriptures see it. The, The wife's primary calling is as a homemaker and a manager in the home. And the husband's primary calling is to be the breadwinner. And God has made husbands such that the heart of a godly husband is a heart that longs to provide for his wife. He he delights in doing this. Again, this is only a faithful reflection of who Jesus is. Jesus loves to provide for his wife. Also, giving her what she needs so that she can be faithful and diligent in her own calling before the Lord. And the husband's calling then is to provide not just physically, but to provide spiritually. The husband takes that initiative spiritually. He's leading in devotions. He he is the one who sets the priority for family worship. He is the one who gets after the family. We need to do devotions. She maybe helps him in that, but, but this is his headship. In fact, we could say the husband is leading, whether he wants to or not, whether he's choosing to lead or choosing to be delinquent. Either way, he is leading because that's his head, that's his position that he can't avoid. Whether he likes it or not, he is leading. And then in all of this, I think we see how headship for the husband in his marriage ultimately looks like this, that he then is the servant for his wife's sake. That is, the husband is the servant of God. Right? Because this is God's daughter. This is a daughter of the king. And I have this blessed privilege under God to to take care of one of his precious daughters and serve her with faithful leadership and provision and protection. And if that sounds strange to us, well, we need to remember Christ. Because this is Christ. He became a servant, obedient even unto death, to serve his wife. 
That's what headship is. And all of this is impressed upon us from verse 23. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And now this, and he is the Savior of the body. What does that mean? Well, obviously we understand with Christ, Christ is the Savior of the church. But, but how does this have its parallel, its reflection in husbands towards their wives? Well, the idea is this. The husband is so wrapped up in the welfare of his wife He is so deeply concerned about her that he will do all in his power for her salvation and her spiritual prosperity. He lives for her. For her spiritual prosperity. He serves her in whatever way she needs it so that she might spiritually prosper as a Christian woman and as his wife. And that's what he does for his children too whom God has entrusted to his care. This is the husband's humbling position. And at the same time, we fully say, this is the husband's glorious and exalted position to serve God in this way. Well, all of this leads us to the question, what is the husband's ultimate duty? Or what is the specific manner? What is the way in which the husband is to carry out this headship? What really stands at the heart of of the husband's calling as head of his wife. Well, the calling is this. The the duty is this. Love. Husbands, when we think of headship, when we think of headship, this is what we must be thinking of. Love. It's very striking in the Bible. the, The command that is emphasized to husbands in the Bible is not rule. The Bible doesn't say to you, rule. The Bible says to the wives, submit. The Bible understands this is your position. But the calling that Scripture gives to husbands over and over again is this. Love. 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 Is that not exactly how it is with Christ in us? Christ loves us. We experience His love for us day by day. And then we respond. We love Him because He first loved us. We joyfully live for Him and follow His leading because we know His love. Three times in this passage, it emphasizes love. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives. Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Love, love, love. That's headship. That's the duty you have as head. Well, what is love? Well, love is not simply some emotion we have so that sometimes we are in love and sometimes we fall out of love. That's not love. That's certainly not the word being used here. The word used here is the strongest word for love. It's the loftiest word for love. God is love. Love is of God. That's this kind of love that it's talking about. Love is a strong, pure, holy, selfless commitment to your wife. That's God's love to us. Love is an attraction to and a desire for your wife. That's God's love to us. Love is a cleaving to your wife, laying down yourself and all that you are for your wife. That's God's love to us. And love shows itself in action. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave. He gave 
everything he could. That's love. And what is striking in the passage is this. Husbands are commanded to love their wives. Love is a decision. As, as lofty as we speak of love, love is down to earth. Love is a decision. Love is, is expressed in how you choose to live with your wife. Love is a choice. God's love was expressed for us this way. He refused to let us go. He refused to be separate from us. But he showed his love by shedding his own blood on the cross and drawing us close to him in love. When we think about love, we ought to see that love is everything. Love is, love is so all-encompassing. It is perfect and it is exhausting in a sense. It, it's, it consumes everything that you are. Love is not proud. Love is kind. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Love is not easily provoked. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never ends. It keeps going and going and going. Christ's love is perfect. And it never ends. We have an eternal covenant of grace with God. And it's exactly that love that husbands as heads are called to reflect towards their wives. And guess what? Husbands know how to love. Husbands know how to love. Husbands, just think of this. You're in the garage and you're working with a tool and, and your hand slips and you gash your hand or you gash your arm and the blood starts flowing, right? What do you do? Well, maybe you go to the, the first aid kit or maybe you even go to your wife, right? And, and you carefully wash the area. Your wife takes care of you maybe. You apply the bandage. And for the next six days or so, you nurture and you cherish your arm or your hand. You, you protect it. Men sometimes certainly know how to cherish and nurture their pains and their wounds, don't they? They become sick, right? They know how to take care of themselves when they're sick with the cold or the flu. They know how to nourish and cherish their bodies. Now, men, what you need to see is that that's love. That's you loving your own body. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in verse 29. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord, the church. You men know how to nurture and cherish yourselves. And what Paul writes is this, just as you men love your own bodies, so in that way you must love your wives with that same kind of commitment, that same kind of concern, that same kind of nurturing and cherishing. After all, she is your body, right? You are one flesh. It's no different. And just as you see your body and you say, this is the body God has given me and I'm committed to taking care of it. I am. So you must look at your wife and say, this is the wife. This is the body God has given me. She was designed for me. I was designed for her. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I am committed to taking care of her. That's love. And then, and then you see her especially like this. Not just your own body bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh, but you see, she is one highly prized of Jesus Christ himself. She's bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and he shed his blood for her on the cross. She is God's elect and precious child, chosen in love. She is a daughter of the king. She is royalty, 
And she's not royalty because of any marriage relationship to me, but she is royalty because of her relationship to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And she has been entrusted to me for me to nurture and cherish and care for. And now this is my calling in life to be faithful as the instrument in God's hand for the molding and shaping of this woman for her exalted position in heaven as part of Christ's queen. That's my duty. And then even as I pursue that, I myself am being molded and shaped and sanctified also for my place as part of Christ's bride, his queen in heaven. That's how God so perfectly designed it. That's my duty. Well, what are some of the characteristics of this love that a husband must show towards his wife? Well, we're going to be brief here. Lord willing, we'll look at these things a little bit more next time, what this love looks like in a little bit more concrete way. But let me mention a few things this morning. First, the husband's love for his wife is exclusive. Christ's love for his church is exclusive. He has eyes for none other. She alone is his love. So it must be for the husband. You are my only one. I have eyes for no other. You are the one I delight in. Second, the husband's love for his wife is unconditional. Christ loves his church no matter what. She was dead in sin, and he loved her and died for her. Christ could have so easily said she's unworthy. She's not lovable anymore. But no, his love is unconditional. And he also knows this is my responsibility before the Father. This is one he's given me. And I love her just as much as he loved her and, and gave her to me. And so it must be for the husband. I love you no matter what. Riches, poverty, sickness, health, whether in the flower of youth or the wrinkles of old age. Third, the husband's love for his wife is sacrificial, self-denying, self-emptying love. That was Christ's love, wasn't it? He emptied himself for her, his bride. Love is unselfish. As Paul writes at 1 Corinthians 13, love seeketh not her own. Husbands in their marriages, should you choose to take to yourself a wife in marriage, you are called to die to self. That's what you do when you enter marriage. The wives too, but even here, right? The wives too need to die to self, to live unto Christ in this calling God has given them. But even here too, the husband leads. The husband leads and gives himself as the example of dying to self. And then with all of this flows everything else. The husband's love is a tender love, a compassionate love, an intimate love, a, a, a practical love, a love that shows itself, expresses itself in words, a humble love, a love that knows that I haven't made myself to differ in any way from you. And one thing worth emphasizing is this. The husband loves his wife in a language that she recognizes a language that she communicates in, right? That's how Christ loves us, isn't it? He doesn't want us to question his love. He tells us in ways that we can understand. He could have spoken in a foreign language of his love to us, but that he wants us to know he loves us, so he communicates to us in a way we understand, in ways that we value. We see how great his love is for us. He dwells with us. He causes us to know his love in ways that we experience 
as Christ loves the church, so ought husbands to love their wives. That's astounding, husbands. That's staggering. But again, think of this. By dwelling with your wife, spending time with her, communicating with her, being tender with her, protecting her, leading your wife faithfully, so that your wife is allowed and encouraged to be the woman that she's called to be before God. By doing this, your wife can also live as she was designed to live, finding her joy in her life and her fulfillment in you, helping you her husband, under Christ. Isn't that exactly how Christ leads his wife? Whether we are single, whether we are married, isn't this our reality that we find our joy and our life and our fulfillment in Christ being used in his service to, to, to be used so that he realizes his purposes? And that's because of his love worked in us. This is what being the head of your wife is all about. Loving leadership to the glory of God, reflecting Christ in your marriage bond. And what is the holy purpose of it all? Briefly then, what is the holy purpose of it all? Let's read verses 25 through 27 again. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The purpose? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Christ has given you to be the head of your wife so that you might be the instrument in Christ's hand for her personal growth in holiness and her spiritual maturity. This is your purpose that your wife might know how blessed she is as the child of God married to Christ. That your wife might know how treasured she is by God. Not only by you reflecting that to her, but also by thinking so that she has the thought that God would give her such a husband as you to serve for her welfare. That your wife might be spiritually beautiful for her king, King Jesus. Now, if we don't have husbands like that, let's remember that this is only the earthly. This is only supposed to be the picture. Whatever it is with our husbands, we know Christ is precious. Christ sees us as precious. He is the one I'm married to. This earthly marriage is momentary and it is fleeting, but it's meant to be a picture to point me to Christ. That's my reality. And this is the purpose Christ has with each of us, whether single or married, that we might be holy, that we might enjoy fullness of life in Christ, and we might know how treasured we are by God, by God triune, because we see it reflected in Jesus Christ, his Son. And it's in the way of being obedient to that calling that, as I already said, we as husbands ourselves are made holy. And Christ, our bridegroom, is sanctifying us as husbands that we might be holy and pure and without spot as part of his bride. That's part of our headship. That, that's the purpose of our headship. As we come to the end of the sermon, let me speak for a moment directly to the young men and young women. 
I know I've done this recently in the past, so I want to do it again this morning. Those who are looking ahead to marrying or, or desire to get married, young men, as a single man or dating, you prepare for marriage and for becoming a husband in exactly this way. By becoming a man of God. By becoming a man of prayer. You need to have a life with God. That intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to know Christ intimately if you are going to reflect him and this high and holy calling in marriage. It is no small thing for a man to take a wife to himself in marriage and for God to give a man a wife in marriage. And young women... This is what you need in a man. Don't settle for anything less than a man of God whose passion and pursuit in life is the glory of God and who is willing and glad to live a life of self-denial and obedience for God's glory. A selfish man and a proud man might seem attractive to the flesh. He may have his charming ways, but the man you want is the man after God's own heart who is courageously devoted to God. Pray for such a man. And the Lord is pleased to answer those kinds of prayers. It doesn't say he will give us a husband, but the Lord is delighted in those kinds of prayers. He does hear such good prayers. And then fathers, and I, I want to tie this to baptism very briefly. Fathers, let your love and self-denial for your wives be visible for your children to see, for Naomi, for Cohen to see, so that your sons know what loving headship looks like, and so that your daughters know what to look for in a man. These are the blueprints, a beginning, just a little bit, for husbands in marriage. These are quite the blueprints, aren't they? To be a husband is a high calling. And we thank the Lord for whatever calling he, he has given us. Whether to be a wife, to be unmarried, to be an officer, to be a husband. We know his grace is sufficient. Whom the Lord calls, he qualifies. And he has a purpose with every calling. And when we sin and fall short and repent and forsake our sins, God graciously forgives. And when we seek after his help, then he causes us to see that his love for us never fails because he is our faithful head, the perfect head, and he loves us as a loving husband perfectly. So be encouraged in that thought. You have Christ as your faithful, loving husband. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for Christ we pray that we might see and enjoy his love. And that may be what colors and shapes and influences our lives and our earthly callings here below. Bless this preaching to our hearts and shape our lives by it. We pray for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen.